Truth Plus Media. Lost the ball. Oh, nice behind the back from Westbrook. On a smile as the young dynamic point guard goes up the floor. Even he was going, woo! That was sweet. The number one reason right now is because James Harden, to me, is the most consistent third scoring option in the NBA. Well, I guess I will. I guess I'll talk to Kevin Durant. You're sure you're only 23? Yeah, I'm, I'm 23. And I'm just so, so happy my mom gets to watch me every single game, my brothers, all my friends. So uh, I'm just blessed right now. I congratulate you, Kevin. You've had a great run and I hope it continues for you in the NBA Finals. There are your Western Conference champions heading to the NBA Finals. The Oklahoma City Thunder. Mark. What is up, family? Welcome to Forgotten Seasons. This is your host, Dylan Dreyfus. The team that we're covering today does not need much of an introduction. We're going to OKC and reliving the Thunder's 2012 season. We got KD, we got Russ, we got Harden. This is the trio's last season together before Harden gets shipped off to Houston. So really the last moments that we got from these three superstars. Joining us today to help us relive this season is Mr. Carry On, the team's starting center, Kendrick Perkins. Big Perk was traded to OKC from Boston the year before this, and he was pretty upset. You'll hear him talk about Boston was his home of eight years, but soon enough, he found himself right back at home in OKC. He was in awe of the work ethic that was brought to the court every day by KD, Russ, and Harden, and Kendrick was a big part of the team's success. So this was a loaded one, uh, just an incredible and fascinating team. I hope you guys enjoy it. Remember to rate and subscribe to the pod if you haven't already. Thank you guys for your continued support. These type of interviews would simply not be possible without you guys. So hope you guys enjoy. We're going to get into it now. Forgotten Seasons with Kendrick Perkins on the 2012 Thunder begins right now. Welcome, everybody, to Forgotten Seasons. Welcome to Big Perk, Kendrick Perkins. Perk, how you doing today, man? What's going on, my brother? I appreciate you having me on. Dylan, what's happening? Yeah, we're we're excited to be here. Excited to talk about talk with the the king of the sports media world right now, and talk to him about a very special team. Oh, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, time out, time out. What's going on? I know you're a Knicks fan, mm. right? And I get all that, but what's up with the Timberwolves hat today? I, I'm not understanding this shit. What's hey. going on? I'm paying homage to your old teammate Kevin Garnett. You know we're getting oh, okay, we're, okay, cool. Okay. We're, we're we're getting in the zone today. I I did a few like head bumps against the wall before this started, so we're ready. Oh, okay, cool. But look, I don't know if the Timberwolves and KG is actually you know you're paying right. homage is actually the right word with their relationship. But I get what you're doing though. Go ahead, do what you can. Carry hey. On. I, I like Anthony Edwards too. They got a good thing going on, but but yeah, yeah. yeah. Nonetheless, nonetheless, today we're going to be going to Oklahoma City. We are going to be going back to 2011. Big Perk, that roster. I mean, just to to start it off, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden. Big Perk is is this Thunder trio the biggest what if, what if in NBA history? One of them to you? Where does it, where does it rank for you? It is. I mean, you know, it ranked it ranked top five for sure. Like, what if they would have stayed together? But what people have to realize is that 
those guys did something special. Now, I know they didn't win, we didn't win a championship, but you have to realize at the time, all of those guys were under the age of 25. And 22, 22, 23. That's what I'm saying. So when you look at it and you look at James, you look at Russell Westbrook, you look at Kevin Durant, you look at all those guys at that point in time in their career, they were still, they still had a long way to go and they were still trying to find their identity, right? Meaning they had individual things that they wanted to accomplish. Guys wanted to get max contracts, things to that nature. So to look, to go, now that I think about it, when I go back in time and think about how those guys sacrificed and how they made it work, how those guys went through the battle, including myself, but those guys in particular, to make it work on the court to, to get past the San Antonio Spurs and Greg Popovich with Tim Duncan, to get past Kobe Bryant with the Lakers, and to actually make it to the finals at that age was something special. It doesn't happen. If you go back in NBA history, you're looking at teams in the finals for their three best players to all be 22, 21 years old simply doesn't happen. Before we get into the days in Oklahoma City, I want to start at the at the trade deadline of the year before. You're in Boston and you get traded to Oklahoma City. Um, How does that go down? What do you remember from that day? And what were your initial feelings when you were told, hey, Big Perk, you're going to Oklahoma now? Well, well, I kind of had a feeling, you know, uh, like at the start of the season, uh, Danny Ainge and the Celtics had offered me a contract extension. At the time, I was making like $5 million a year. But as a starting center, you know, the rate was between like from nine to like 20 million a year, right? So I knew I was undervalued, but I knew the Celtics couldn't pay me. So at the time, because, you know, you had Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, uh, KG, and you had a guy like Rajon Rondo who had just made all-star games or whatever coming up and was going to get a big payday or had already got a big payday. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, I was coming off an ACL injury. And I remember in the offseason that when got Shaq, we had when got Shaq, we went and got Jermaine O'Neal, and the team was winning and they were having success. And so that was at the time that the big three was formed in Miami. And so sometimes when the team is having success, when you're hurt, sometimes organizations could be blinded about, about and blinded of the fact of what you actually bring to the table, right? The camaraderie, the togetherness, the the per KG tandem on the defensive end, the way we anchor the defense together. So with that being said, I felt like just because they were doing so good with Shaq and Jermaine O'Neal, that they kind of took me for granted and was like, hold on, we really don't need Perk. With Shaq and J.O. splitting minutes, maybe we could go out there and get a wing and we possibly could lose Perk anyway. So let's get rid of them. But they never told me this, right? I'm just thinking now that I'm retired, this is how things worked out. And so what ended up happening was we, I had taught, I had strained my MCL on my left leg, the opposite knee of my ACL injury. And I remember uh, I was in, we were in Denver 
And I remember waking up and it was on Sports Center and it was like blockbuster alert, trade, Kendrick Perkins is going Damn. to Oklahoma for Jeff Green. So I, I always went to sleep with my TV on ESPN all the time. Like I always watch Sports Center. I just, I just, you know, because at that time I wasn't in social media, so it didn't exist. I, yeah, was, absolutely. Yeah. Everything I needed to know about the sports world, I had to watch it on television. So I see it go down, and now I, I grab my cell phone, and I see I got missed calls from my agent, Danny Ainge, and my hotel phone rings, and it's my agent. He's like, "Perk, wake up! You just got traded." I'm like, what? Hold on. Time out. I just, what? He's like, yeah, you're going to Oklahoma City. I'm like, hold on, man. We need to stop this trade. At least let us finish the season out. Like, these are my brothers. So I called Danny Ainge. He like, Perk, I hate to do it, but we traded you, man. We traded you to a great organization. So I'm like, Danny, no, man. No, man, we cannot do it, dog. Like, just give us to the end of the season and you could do whatever you want. I promise you, I'll do a signing trade. You know, I'll make it happen. He was like, Perk is already done. Sam Preston gonna be calling you, man. You know, I got love for you. I drafted you, this, that, and the other. So I'm like, damn. So I get traded, right? So now I gotta go holler at all my brothers, right? Then they hotel rooms. And so I go holler at KG, me and him talk. He, he break down in tears. He like, what? What the fuck? You got traded. the fuck out of here, man. So he go crazy, right? He go crazy. I go holler at Ray. Ray like, yeah, Perk is all good. It's part of the business. He was kind of nonchalant about it. Go holler at, holler at Paul. And Paul like, man, big fella, it was a great eight and a half years, man, you know, but you're going to be all right. So I'm like, all right, cool. I go holler at Rondo. Rondo messed up. He like, mm -hmm. man, forget this, man. What? They traded you. How they going to just trade you, man? Like, what? Because, you know, me and Rondo called ourselves the other two. So then I go holler at Doc. And I have a meeting with Doc. He like, perk, I hate it. But you going to have a great time in Oklahoma City. And I'm just like, man, he's like, Scott Brooks is great. They got a nice young core. It's going to be there for you. So I get traded there. I'm pissed off, right? I don't know what to expect. Uh, I don't know, you know, how these guys are going to be because this is my brothers. This is all I knew for eight and a half years. The only thing I knew was the Boston Celtics. So I get traded there and I get to Oklahoma. And before I even play a game, one game, they signed me to a contract extension. So Danny Ainge actually looked out for me. He traded me to a place that really wanted me and he knew I was going to get paid. But then I found out the story later on of how it all went down. And what happened was, was that Doc, Paul, Danny, KG, Ray and Rondo was all in the meeting. And Danny proposed to them and said, we have an offer for Jeff Green right now. Do y'all want to make the trade and trade Perk? We got Jermaine, we got Shaq. So KG and Rondo like, hell no, nah, fuck no, we ain't hearing that shit, right? Well, Ray and Paul signed off on him. It was like, yeah, trade him, man. We could use Jeff Green at the wing position. 
go ahead and trade Perk. So this is the story that I got. And then Doc was like, well, if y'all, if y'all two agree, I mean, I hate to do it, but if y'all think Jeff Green go help us get past the heat and be that guy to wing position, then go ahead and do it. And that's how it happened. Damn, that's a crazy two-sided story. Well, we know how it worked out for the Celtics. They never got past the heat. Um, they actually, after they traded you, they they finished that season like 13 and 12 or something. Like they, they did not finish strong that 2011 season. So then you're going to Oklahoma, different from Boston in many ways, right? Small town, Oklahoma City. Uh, from a constructural roster standpoint, right? You're one of the younger guys on the Celtics. And now all of a sudden you're the OG in Oklahoma. So I know that you're battling injuries at that time. And I believe when you get to Oklahoma, you're not playing right away. Uh, you're nursing your injuries. When you're sitting on the bench and you're in practice, like bring us back to those first few memories in Oklahoma City. When you're there and you're observing a young Russ, KD, and James Harden, what are you thinking to yourself as you're watching those guys and as you're immersing yourself in that locker room? Well, when I first got there, they were on the road. So they were playing the Orlando Magic, and they were on the road on a back-to-back. -back. I forgot the team that they played before, but they played the Orlando Magic, and they were flying back. So I was at the facility, you know, going through my uh, physical and things to that nature, meeting people, you know, around the organization. I remember walking into the gym, they old facility, that they made, there was an old skating rink, right? So I walk in and I'm just looking around like, what the hell going on? You know, like this is not NBA type shit. And so uh, I remember KD was the first person to reach out to me. He sent me a text, was like, hey, hey bro, happy to have you on the squad. You know what I mean? Hey, looking forward to, 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 to getting on the court with you. All right, so they get back. And I'm thinking that they about to have a day off because in Boston, if you have a back-to-back, -back, the next day is an automatic day off. We already knew this. The old dudes got to ice up. Yeah, yeah, we got to ice up or whatever the case may be. Not with these young guys. So I go in the next morning, they back, they get in late that night. The next day I get in early. I'm getting some treatment and getting my workout in. Guys are coming in, I'm meeting guys. So I go meet Coach Scott Brooks. So Coach Brooks like, Perk, man, we happy to have you here. I just want you to know, we call this Oklahoma U. And I said, Oklahoma U? He was like, yeah, man, these guys love the game of basketball. It's like a college here. They, they work out nonstop. So I was like, oh, okay. So. I get to meeting all the guys, dabbing them up, you know, shaking hands, shooting the shit with them. And practice start. Now, might I tell you, they coming off a of back-to-back. And man, when I tell you they have a full-out intense practice and they're scrimmaging, going at each other, and I'm sitting up here saying, hold on, y'all just coming off a of back-to-back, y'all got in at two o'clock in the morning and y'all out here really getting it in at practice? And so I'm watching the practice. I'm watching James, Russ, KD, Serge Ibaka all go at it. And I'm like, hold on, these, these guys are different. Practice ends, and I'm watching KD and Russ and James at different baskets getting full-out individual workouts in 
Like you almost had to kick them out the gym. So KG sends me a text and he like, man, miss you big fella. How you liking it over there? How them young boys is? And I had to call them like, say bro, these dudes right here different. Like I'm watching KD work out and he has like three or four coaches working him out and he's working on scoring over double teams, triple teams, getting the ball at half court, going crossover, hezzy pull-ups. I'm watching James on the other end working on dribble handoff. I'm like, hold on, these dudes are different. They love for the game, it's different. So now I'm starting to sit, I'm sitting on the bench in this game time. So I'm starting to watch these guys when they come out and play. And I'm like, hold on, KD is a walking bucket. I'm looking at James coming off the bench. I'm like, this dude not normal. And then I'm watching Russell Westbrook. I'm like, oh, I didn't, like after about five games, all the depression I had from leaving my brothers in Boston had went straight out the window. Cause I knew I was in a great situation with a great group of young guys that actually looked up to me and loved the game of basketball. That's dope. And then, so this year, 2010-11, they end up losing you guys to the Mavs who end up winning the championship. And then the lockout happens and it's a long off season. And a lot is being written about, you know, the season preview. Um, but at this point, you know, the Thunder were good. Everybody recognized it. But there were starting to get like murmurs. I'm actually going to read you an excerpt from a preview. They said, well, Miami will emerge as one of the more impressive regular seasons we've seen in decades. 1,500 miles away in middle America, Kevin Durant and the Thunder will be coming into their own. The Thunder have all the elements of a great team and Durant's the catalyst that will make them great because he's that good. Better than that even because he's not just a great player now, he's historically great. Just people haven't caught on. So as you hear that and you're picturing that offseason, I want to start with Kevin Durant, right? A player that now in the media, he's all over the place on social media. But who was Kevin Durant back then, 22-year-old in Oklahoma City? He actually was the same Kevin Durant. Um, he just wasn't outspoken in the media. Right. This is the guy who out of all the guys that I've been around while I was playing in my 14 years and I played with a lot of Hall of Famers. Kevin Durant was different. Kevin Durant don't give a damn about jewelry. Kevin Durant don't give a damn about cars. Kevin Durant don't give a damn about nothing that the NBA has to offer outside of basketball. Kevin Durant is what you call a pure out hooper. He just won a hoop. And when I started to realize that was when, you know, people get on KD about, oh man, you don't brush your hair. People, you may see KD, he just pull up in a sweatsuit or he may pull up to appearance. He got shorts with a t-shirt on and some flip-flops, some Nike flip-flops. Like, he don't give a damn. The only thing he care about is the love of the game. So I'm watching this man and, you know, I'm watching him go for 30, right? And I'm watching him this complete package. And I'm just leaving the team where I was on the squad with KG, Paul, Ray Allen. I'm like, dog, this dude is scoring the basketball with ease. I'm watching him pull up shots and I'm like, man, this is a bad, damn, this is a bad fucking shot. But it's not a bad shot. This dude really gets buckets. And so I'm watching him improve and he kept telling me, 
I'm still, I still got to get better. So I'm like, what you mean you got to get better? Like you're getting buckets. He was like, no, nah, I got to be efficient. And his biggest thing, and I remember him telling me, was that he was like, man, I got to be a 50, 40, 90 guy. Like that's my thing. And watching him, watching his workouts, watching him behind the scenes, not, what he does on the court, it doesn't surprise me. Because he works on everything that he shows the outside world, he does it behind the scenes. Like we were literally laying in NBA cities the day before a game, and we were laying at about five or six o'clock. KD would have a gym reserved for about eight o'clock to go get his work in. Like this is how much he loved hoop. And the KD that we seeing right now, outspoken, is the KD that he's always been the same. But what people have to realize is that the Oklahoma City Thunder was almost trying to mimic the San Antonio Spurs. Mm. Sam Presti was raised in that culture. You get what I'm saying, Dylan? So when you look at that culture in San Antonio, those guys are quiet. You never heard Tim Duncan or, or, or Tony Parker or Mano Ginobili speak out or lash out at the media. Hell, it's hard to even get words out of Greg Popovich. And so with that being said, while KD was in Oklahoma, he really couldn't be Kevin Durant, you know, like because we were being monitored so much of what we could do, what we couldn't do. This is how we do it over here. We do it the OKC way. And I think once he got away from Oklahoma, he was able to be himself. And that's what we're seeing right now. Well, on the flip side of that, the second half of the Thunder duo, of course, is Russell Westbrook, who is different from Kevin Durant, I would say, on the, from an outside perspective, in a bunch of ways, right? KD is like civilization. Russ is like chaos. KD is the steady metronome, soft-smoking. And Russell Westbrook is like that thrashing guitar solo, right? Mm -hmm. Those metaphors come from a book called Boomtown. So I'm not just coming up with this on the spot, yeah, but, yeah. Was, but regardless, it was some light bars. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> but, but regardless, right. What's so fascinating about it is that you have KD, you know, who's KD and then Ross is just like everything everywhere. He's unlike any player we've really seen at the point guard position. He is just go, 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 go. So I'm just wondering about what, that dynamic was like between KD and Russ because they really are opposites on the floor. Uh, I don't know them personally, but I'm, I'm curious to hear how that went. You heard so much about it over the years to this day. They didn't hate each other. It was a, you know, big brother, little brother relationship. So from the inside, from the locker room, what was Kevin and Russ's relationship like? Well, well, people try to make it that way because Russ was a aggressive point guard. He, he was a scoring point guard at the time. And we have to remember, Russell Westbrook was still trying to put his imprint, his fingerprints on the, on the game of basketball, meaning he was still trying to establish who he was and his identity. So people would say, oh, man, you got Kevin Durant, but you got Russell Westbrook who, who will take 22 shots. But who give a damn? Because Russell Westbrook is – it's a reason Kobe, Kobe Bryant blessed Russell Westbrook with the Mamba mentality because Russell Westbrook was a guy, and I always say this, right outside of Kevin Garnett, 
he gave you a different type of swagger. I'm talking about your team. Like he had a different type of confidence that rubbed off on everyone. Like in, including Scott Brooks, and you can ask him Scott Brooks this to this day. Russell Westbrook gave the Thunder swagger. You know, like that tenacity, that mindset he played with, people just couldn't understand. And here's the thing. People always say, oh, man, KD and, and Russ, it, they were just too different. They couldn't work out and things to that nature. KD won four scoring titles playing alongside Russell Westbrook. So the shit worked. Right, right. Okay? All right, I get it. They didn't end on good terms. They blew, they blew a 3-1 lead to the Warriors. Shit happens. That doesn't mean they didn't work. If you go back and just look at the, the number of games that they won together, uh, the playoff series that they won together. Like, it was a time, and no, I don't want to be wrong, but I believe it was a time where, like, KD, KD probably had 40, 15, and – seven assists and Russ had 40, 12 and 12. Like they were dominating in that type of form where you never really seen a, a duo like that, right? You could look at Kobe and Shaq, yes, maybe D Wade and Braun, I get that. But when you talk about two guys that were out there giving you 40 a piece on the same night, both going to get double figure rebounds, both almost touching double figure assists, like affecting the game, like we had a saying. I had a saying to both of those guys. Look, in the first, second, third quarter, it's y'all job to get everybody else involved, meaning me, Serge Ibaka, Tabo, whoever else was on the team. Fourth quarter, y'all two take it over. Everybody else watch the hell back, and we're going to run a two-man game with Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. And you try to stop it. You just couldn't. Can't. But, man, I just get tired of everybody saying, oh, man, they just couldn't work. Or KD left because of Russ. KD, KD didn't leave because of Russ. KD left because KD couldn't be himself in the organization. And KD wanted something different. It had nothing to do with Russell Westbrook. It had everything to do with Kevin Durant couldn't be Kevin Durant in that organization. The same reason Kawhi Leonard left the San Antonio Spurs. Some cultures just, some culture, it, cultures and organizations just don't fit that player. I mean, hey, uh, I, you can't blame them. And it's I, it's great to hear that it's, it's not because of Russ, because I think anybody that knows basketball probably knows that, but to, to hear that reassurance is refreshing. The next guy who is the first player the Thunder ever draft, he might be the best player to ever come off the bench for a whole season, James Harden. Before we get into his play style and his personality, I'm wondering, this is about the time when that beard starts really, really coming into his own. And you got a big beard, but I don't think it, it compares to what Harden's got. What are you guys saying as he's growing out and what is his reasoning? Is it just like, you know, it's who I am, it's me? It was just him. It was his personality. I mean, it was just something that, you know, it was his identity. Like I said, at that time, you have to understand those guys were, what, 21, 22 years of age, and they were still trying to establish themselves and a personal brand. So that's who James was at the time. Mm. I heard stories that in practice, James Harden would be on some Jimmy Butler in Minnesota shit where he would have the second unit going 
and they would actually be beating the first unit in practice and like him and rush and kevin would like clash and not on some like personal shit but they're competitors do you have any stories remember those days in practice when james is taking the second unit up well all those practices were like that especially with james like james used to go at our neck and when i used to watch i used to say to myself man like this dude is special and and like all our practices used to be like that it was to the point like I remember one practice in particular, we were in Oklahoma and we were we were scrimmaging and we were going up and down and it got so intense between the first and second unit that we played an extra two quarters and we wanted to play again because like that's how competitive it was between those guys. And James used to go at them. KD and Rush used to go back at him. Like it was like, it, it, I really wanted to sub myself out just to watch the show. <laughs> and it, it got to the point where Scott Brooks was like, no, we're done. We're fucking done. Practice over. Save it for tomorrow. And it would carry on where it was so intense that after games, we would talk shit in the locker room and say, all right, Blue, we're going to get at White tomorrow at practice, boy. We can't wait. That's how intense it was at practice. That's how much we went at each other at practice. Like, and this is no cap. This is all facts. Well, that practice trans translates to success. You guys start out the season 16 and four. Describe the energy inside the Thunder Arena. I forget what it was called. Is that the loudest, best environment you've played in your career? Well, yeah, Chesapeake, it was. It, it was electrifying. And you have to realize it, it was the only sports team in town. So, Everybody came. I mean, it was sold out. Tickets were sold out. Like, if they were released, they were sold out in three hours. Like, season ticket holders and everything. And it was so electrifying. You couldn't help but get fired up to play in front of that crowd. And, man, we used to put on a show. I mean, just think, like, you know, whether it was KD making a move, crossing somebody up, hitting a turnaround fadeaway, Russ driving down the lane, snatching the screws out the fucking rim, or James coming in off the bench and running off 10 straight points or some shit like that. Like, it was just fired up. Boston crowd was great, but Boston fans were a little different because, yes, they would get loud, but they were a little cutthroat, meaning they have no filter. But Oklahoma City just was loud. Like, it was loud. It was called Loud City. Chesapeake Arena was rocking. It was packed. It was great energy. Who were the guys in the league, the big men, that you would call your toughest matchups at the time? Um, obviously, going against Memphis, right? Uh, having to battle Big Zebo and Marcus Saul, and then even the Lakers when I had to go against uh, Andrew Bynum and, pa and Paul Casal, And then you would have to go against Tim Duncan and whoever else they would put alongside of him. It really didn't even matter. It's just the fact that you had Tim Duncan to deal with. At that point in time, those were the, those were the bigs that, that, that I had to really strap my boots up because, you know, my job was to guard. The Thunder brought me in. They traded for me to actually help them get past the Lakers, Tim Duncan in the Western Conference. And then you can't leave out dirt, right? So 
In the Western Conference alone, it was stacked with versatile bigs that could play. So, you know, every almost every game when you're playing in the West, you had to strap your boots up because if you're playing against Memphis, if Zach had it going, then I have to go guard Zach. But then if Zach didn't have it going, Marcus Gasol may have it going. I have to go guard mm-hmm. him on the low block. So it was all those matchups. And then when you face the Twin Towers, you already had to worry about how we was going to try to stop Kobe Bryant in a pick and roll or how we was going to trap him. And then you got Paul Gasol, seven one, along with Andrew Bynum, who's 7-1. Both of them talented as hell. You had to worry about that. So, I mean, the Western Conference alone was stacked up in deep. We didn't get a chance to talk about your front court mate or one of them, Serge Ibaka, who I went back and looked at his stats. Like the dude's averaging like four blocks a game, like like legit. And he's also young, 22, 23 years old. What do you remember from, from a young Serge? Well, you know what? Serge was known at the time for knocking down the 15-footer being athletic, being able to sprint the floor, and being a hell of a shot blocker. So Serge also was trying to be in the mix of things of, you know, he wanted to make an all-star game. And rightfully so. Like, if you know, you come into this game, and, it, and Serge is one of the most – he's one of the most hardworking guys I have been around. Like, you had to kick him out the gym. But what we used to do, and I had to go to Russ and, Kate and Katie and tell them, even Scott Brooks, listen, let's run the first play for Serge all the time. Let's get Serge going offensively. Because as a big man, if you get a couple buckets, now you're going to do everything else that the team needs your ass to do. So we would get Serge going, and this man would damn near, we would look up, and this man would have seven, eight blocks, ten blocks. And I'm like, what the Incredible. fuck? I was like, yeah, we got to keep him going. Keep his confidence going. Russ, you come off of this pick and roll with Serge, you know he's popping to this elbow. Your pull-up is there, but you could get yours. Man, feed Serge because he's going to give us some shot blocking. So what I started to realize was that I started to get on the same page with Serge, like KG and I was on the same page. And so what I started doing was I knew I had this guy behind me that was sending shit to the stands. So I would guard the best post player. I didn't care if it was Dirk, Zach, whoever it was, whether they tried to pull me out from the outside and isolate me or whatever, I would just crowd them and do enough to hold them up so that when they shot the ball, Serge was coming out of nowhere sending that shit to the bleachers, right? And I would call him the wild African. When he would get nine or 10 blocks, his name was, I would call him the wild African. And we would just, so once we figured out the the recipe to get Serge going, he started taking off and started, man, he was just one of the best defenders in the league at the time. You're listening to Forgotten Seasons. We'll be right back. I don't know about you guys, but I had myself a great Sunday. Week one, 10 hours of football, watched the games with my buddies, ate some wings, and of course, play Daily Fantasy with DraftKings, the official Daily Fantasy partner of the NFL. DraftKings is putting you in the center of the action for week two. New customers can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit by signing up using code Forgotten Seasons. That's Forgotten Seasons with no spaces. Get into the action now and use the code when you sign up. 
It's simple, easy, and fun. All you got to do is pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Feel the NFL action like never before with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Download the DraftKings app now and use code Forgotten Seasons when you sign up. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for more details. So the season finishes out. You guys win 47 games, but it's the lockout year. You're the number two seed. First round, you guys got the Mavericks, the defending champs. I think what people fail, fail to realize about these Thunder teams is that in these playoffs, you beat the defending champs, and then you beat later the Spurs, who would go on to win two championships. Uh, so you guys are just like lighting things up. What, real quick, what do you remember from that Mav series going against the defending champs? Is there any doubt in your guys' mind that you're going to wax the floor with them? Well, well, I made it where we didn't have doubt. And if you go back and look at game one, I picked the fight with Dirk. Me and Dirk got into it. And I also got into it with Rick Carlisle just to show them that we wasn't backing down and we wasn't for the bullshit. So I did it, I did it on purpose to set the tone. And once they saw that, once they saw I was getting in the dirt, the crowd got behind us. The worst thing that could happen for the Mavs was that we got home court advantage. And when we got home court advantage and we set the tone because we established, the great thing about it is that we established home court throughout the, except, well, we, we was one of the top teams, but we established our identity so that our home court, it was hard to go into Oklahoma. So as a basketball player, NBA player, you always knew them cities where you was like, man, don't let these fans get involved because boy, it's gonna be hard to win in this motherfucker. We already established that shit when we was in OKC. And so the best thing about it was that we had home court in the first and the second round. So against the defending champs, I'm like, you know what? I'm about to go in here and set the tone. I'm about to muck it up. I'm about to get physical with dirt. I don't give a fuck. It is what it is. And if, if he want to do something about it, like I was just on one and it set the tone from there. Yeah, you set the tone. You guys sweep the Mavs. Then you guys go to the Lakers who you end up beating in five. This is actually Kobe's last time in the playoffs. So the Thunder send him packing. But that series, there was a few things that I always found interesting. One, that's the year that our guy, Meta World Peace, had the elbow to James Harden. Harden probably still has a dent in his head to this day. What do you remember from that series against the Lakers, against Kobe, against those Twin Towers and Big Ron? Well, it was just different. But, but what I remember was, was that we just didn't give a damn. Like, we didn't care who was in front of us. And we, I remember we had a back-to-back. -back. We played a back-to-back, -back, bro in that game, in that series, because of because of uh, the lockout season. So we, I, think it, I think it was game three and four, maybe. We played back-to-back -back in L.A. It was a back-to-back -back game in L.A. Yeah, and I just, three, three and four, you're right. Yeah, and I just remember that all I kept saying, when you're in the playoffs, we just wanted to get one on the road. And I think we end up getting two on the road, if I'm not mistaken. Game two, you guys, yeah, you guys win the first, 
you guys win the first two games, lose game three. And, three, then, and we went and got game four on the road. Yeah. And once we got game four, I knew we it was wraps. Yeah, it was a wrap. But, you know, it was just, man, to be honest, when Metal World Peace elbowed James, that was the worst thing that he could have done because that actually lit a fire under us. And the whole time, that young core, all they was missing was a big brother enforcer like myself to know that, hey, fuck them. Because that's what, that's, what, that's what I used to say. Look, if you're not wearing OKC on your chest, fuck them. And that's how we approach these games, man. That mindset with Russ and KD already being killers along with James, it just took us to another level. Mm. Well, you guys go into that next level, then you guys get the Spurs. Number one seed in the West, they're 8-0 in the playoffs heading into this series. Again, this is the pretty much the same Spurs team that after this year goes on to go to two straight finals. So again, I think that this is one of the most interesting series of the past 10 years. You have the Spurs, right? Of course, Manu, Duncan, and Tony, and a young Kawhi. The old guys who have been around for a decade plus, and then you got the young guys coming in. You got Harden and Ginobili, like the two lefty shooting guards. There's a lot of history in here. Um, And you guys battle it out. It goes to a tough six games. Um, Other than one of those games, uh, they're all really close. So again, like, what is it like preparing and what is the messaging in the locker room when you're heading into the Spurs series? Well, well, the thing is, is that it's always, you know, you look at the Spurs, like how people used to look at the Patriots. Every year. And Belichick and you're like, fuck. (laughs) Like, so include myself, we actually went into San Antonio and we had doubt. Like, we had doubt and we could not stop them. We went down 0-2 in that series. And man, we came back and we was down 0-2. And I remember when we got back to Oklahoma, the next day at film room, we all was fucking depressed. Everybody had their head down. I remember I went back and watched the game and Steve Kerr was talking shit, talking about, man, they need to sit Kendrick Perkins. He can't guard the pick and roll, right? This is when he was he was the analyst on yeah, TNT. So yeah. I remember them saying him saying that. And so that lit the fuel under me. So we couldn't figure out how we wanted to guard the pick and roll. Like we was in a drop, we was up, and they was just picking us apart. And we knew with the Spurs that you had to guard them for 24 seconds. You had to guard them for 24 seconds because they were gonna run their sets. So we get back and we like, Scott Brooks like, fuck it. Perk, Surge, we switching everything. And when we switch, I want you to guard Tony Parker, put your stick hand up, guard him, give him space, and make him take a contested two or a contested three-point shot, same with Ginobili. And I remember game three at home, I switched out on Ginobili. I said, let me see it. Got down, he tried to shoot, I blocked his shot. Came back down, switched on Tony Parker. He tried to shoot over me and he airballed the ball, airballed it. We go on the run, they call a timeout. And I remember I was talking shit to Steve Kerr who was sitting on the sideline over there. I was like, yeah, what's that bullshit you was talking about? Motherfucker, and I was throwing up this cause I was locking their ass up in the pick and roll. And so after that, once we figured out that we could do it, we got it done. And then KD, Russ, and James was going to take us home anyway. Once they found their rhythm, 
once we start putting those guys in pick and rolls, and we said, you, we said they, so our strategy was, we knew that Tim Duncan was in a drop coverage. So we start backing the pick and roll up some. And so whether I was setting the screen for KD, Russ, or James, what I was doing was, was coming all the way up, setting the pick. I wasn't even rolling to the basket. I was holding the screen, forcing them to switch. And now they was coming downhill attacking Tim Duncan. And they was just either the pull-up game or getting all the way to the rack. Yeah, was it? I mean, Timmy was still great, but it wasn't the Tim Duncan of 10 it years ago. Right, right. It was an old Tim. Yeah. Sort of separate, but I remember those later Thunder teams, like in 2015, 16, your guys' identity seemed to just be that you were bigger and stronger than every team. Like when you played the Warriors um, or when they, they played the Warriors, like when did that identity sort of come into its own in the Thunder, like that you guys were just bigger and more physical than the other team? Well, we, we had been that way since the time that I got there. And I, and I felt like we established that identity that we're going to – because we were always – even before I got there, the Thunder was – a they were, those young guys were still a top-10 team defensively. And mm -hmm. when I got there, we was a top-five team defensively in every category. So we established our identity. Then we drafted Steven Adams, who's – one Strong. of the strongest guys I ever been around in my life, right? Aquaman. So, I mean, identity was there. We already established the culture, but Nick Collison was one of the guys, right? The ultimate guy. We call him Mr. Thunder himself because he was that real leader, that unsung leader in the locker room that never said a word but led by example. So long as you had Nick Collison on the bench, that identity and that culture was always going to be there. Was he the guy? Because I know you guys also had Derek Fisher. Who was the guy in the locker room when things did get tense? Like you said, when you're down 0-2 against San Antonio, who's the guy that you guys sort of band around and pulls everyone well, in? Well, both of us both said things. So I would say my pregame speech in the hallway and Deep Fish would say his. So we both took did our part of leading because we both were already battle-tested. We both had right. won championships. We both had been to the promised land. So anytime those moments happen, we would never get too high, never get too low. We would always keep a steady. We always be steady that way because we always knew that those other guys were looking up to us. Right, right. So San Antonio, you guys win six hard fought. And then, of course, you guys got the heat. No surprise there. Um, like few days there's a few days between the conference finals and the finals there's that stretch um what's the mindset what's the messaging how are the thunder going to beat the heat well you know what it, it was hard man and i knew the challenge was going to be tough because after we beat the spurs you could see guys kind of get relaxed and you know a lot of people don't realize is that it's an honor just to go to the finals and Very hard. People, and people don't realize that a lot of casuals don't understand that. They just think about winning it. But when you win your conference and, you know, you hold up that Western Conference Championship trophy, uh, I could tell that a lot of our guys were kind of like relaxed, like we had done it. We, we won the West. We're going to the finals. Like 
And so everything that comes with the finals, the media attention, uh, everything, it's the biggest stage of basketball, right? And so I knew we were going to have our hands full because we were facing a veteran team, a hungry LeBron James that had just lost the year before. So they had already been there. They knew Embarrassed. Right, embarrassed. So they had already been there. And you got guys like Mike Miller, James Jones, those type of vets on your bench are going against our young core. You know, it's kind of hard to go in there and actually win a championship with guys that got a chip on their shoulder. Yeah, well, you guys win game one. Does the energy shift after that? Well, we win game one, and we was a really a LeBron James foul away from winning game two. They didn't call when KD drove baseline. Mm -hmm. But, okay, the series tied 1-1, one, one, and all of a sudden we get to Miami and South Beach get a hold to us, right? South Beach, right? James Harden disappeared completely off the face of the earth when we needed him the most. His numbers that, I mean, his numbers in the finals were mind-boggling. That's, like, what they, that's what everyone said is that, I mean, they said that he was too young. So was it not that it was that South Beach got a hold? I don't know what it was, but I just know he wasn't there. And so when you go back and even look at KD and Russ numbers, like they delivered. So, but you needed, we needed James to, to be able to be that big three in that series because going against Bosch, Wade, Braun, and then you had all those bets around them. We needed James to be the best version of James, and he just wasn't. Yeah, he shot. He, he, he shoots thirty-seven percent from the field. Russ and KD averaged thirty-one and twenty-seven, so they're there, right? But that third piece is missing. That third piece was missing. That third piece, and you know the way that we had already ex established who we were as a team. We hung our hats on that big three getting the job done offensively. This is who we, this is who we are. This is who we were the entire season. So we really didn't have room for one of those guys to slip up. And James actually slipped up. I mean, it happens, right? You're a young team. You yeah. guys you lose in five, but then like that offseason, before James gets traded to Houston, like you know, he has one year left on his deal. There's that talk about the contract extension, but throw all that out. Like you had won a championship in Boston. You know what it takes. You know, the construction of a team that's necessary to win a championship. Is there a doubt in your mind that that Thunder team is going to go back to the finals? Not one, but, but multiple years. It wasn't, it wasn't a doubt. I was like, Oh, this is just the beginning. If we are able to keep the team together. Like if you, you if you're able to keep James, Russ, KD, Serge, and and still have myself in the mix along with Nick Cox, I'm like shit. We about to run it back, and things happen. And this is why I say having a young team, having guys who still have individual things to achieve in the basketball world, it's hard, man. It's hard. And even looking at the James Harden situation. Because you got to remember, all three of those guys went to the Olympics that year. After the finals, all three of those right. guys went to the Olympics. Right. And so I think James was a late addition, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he was a late addition. And 
everybody was telling James at the Olympics, hey man, you need your own team. Man, you too good, man, to be under the shadows of Russ and KD. And so when James got back, when we got back to training camp, you could kind of feel it. Because you have to realize the Oklahoma City, off, off, the Thunder offered him around $65 million. It wasn't the max. The, it wasn't the most they could have offered him, though. There was a there, there was a little bit. It was like 9 or $10 million more. I think yeah. that they eventually did, but at first they didn't. Yeah, they didn't. But, but at the end of the day, it was more so about keeping the whole team in, in, right. in You know what I mean? So to run it back. But it wasn't about the money. It was that James actually wanted his own team. And James showed us why he deserved his own team. At first, I knew James was really, really good. I didn't know he was going to be great. Like, I knew he was going to be a guy that made some all-star games, but I didn't think he was a guy that was going to be an MVP type guy. I so, didn't think he was going to be So when he goes to Houston, right, he gets traded, and then, like, the first game he scores, like, I don't know what the number was, 40, like 45, 16. What is like, as you guys are watching that in the Thunder locker room, is it just like, holy shit, like we didn't. It was, it was. I was like, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) he went to Houston and completely turned the whole franchise around, like from day one. And I watched James in big moments, like, you know, in the closeout game against the Mavericks when we beat them, when we went to the finals, I, I think he had like 24 in the fourth quarter. I watched James throughout that season when we played against the Phoenix Suns come off the bench and score 40, right? So I knew he was capable of putting up buckets, but I didn't know he was capable of doing everything else. Like the buckets, yes, but going and delivering in great fashion. And I didn't know he was capable of doing it on his own because it's easy to score buckets when you also got Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. But when you're able to go do it without having those two on your team and go take over a franchise, you got to be a special type of dude. I mean, say what you want about him. He gets a lot of hate for his play style, but there's no denying he's one of the best offensive players of ever. all time. Ever. Uh, ever. I know that we we, we got to wrap up soon, but I, I want to just get like, you know, a few minutes of just like reflection. Like when you think back on, these early days for you in OKC, like what comes to mind? And I guess, is there anything that you learned from that as a professional? Um, you know what? It was just, it was just about embracing the moment, right? And I have no regrets because I feel like I touched each one of those guys individually on and off the court, whether that was Russ, Serge, James, and even KD. Um, and I have no regrets. One thing I will say is that is this. Oklahoma City, ran by Sam Presti and Troy Weaver at the time, Mr. Clay Bennett, first-class organization. Their practice facility now is one of the best in the NBA. They have a great medical staff and Donnie, led by Donnie Strack. And, man, when I tell you they over, like, they pour money back into their players. One thing about OKC, you're going to be in great shape. You're going to eat healthy. You're going to make sure everything, they do everything possible to make sure that they put you on the court to put you in position to be successful. And that's one thing I will say about Oklahoma City is that first-class organization from top to bottom. Hmm. 
I mean, if you're in Oklahoma, you got to be a good organization or else people are going to want to go to somewhere else. But Perk, I appreciate you for for hopping on. This was this was a fun time reliving it. Uh, everyone out there, I don't have to say look out for Perk because you're going to see him on your cell phone, on your TV. But he's got some cool stuff in the uh, in the works. So definitely look out for that. But um, Perk, just thank you for being on. And uh, we really appreciate it. Hey, hey, Dylan, I appreciate it. And guess what? Carry on. Carry on. There we go. Thanks, Perk. Take it easy, man. Man, that was dope. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you to Big Perk for hopping on today. I could talk with him about this Thunder team forever. Such a special, interesting, dynamic group. And we never got to see them in their full form, all developed. But nonetheless, happy that we got to do this deep dive into the 2012 season. You guys can find more Forgotten Seasons on Instagram and Twitter. We are also on YouTube now making a push there. So if you haven't subscribed, please do. We're going to have some exclusive content coming out there soon. And you can visit truthplusmedia.com for more of these great stories from NBA history. We will be back soon with more Forgotten Seasons. So stay tuned. Thank you guys again and be good.